Hello everyone and welcome to this podcast for the Archives of Disease and Childhood Fetal and Neonatal Edition. My name is Jonathan Davis and today we will be discussing a paper that is the editor's choice in this month's journal entitled Hypoglycemia and Hyperglycemia are Associated with Unfavorable Outcomes in Infants with Apoxic Ischemic Encephalopathy, a post-hoc analysis of the COOLCAP study. I have with me today two of the authors and I will ask them to in- introduce themselves and to say where we're speaking to them today from. Hi, this is Alistair Gunn. I'm a professor of physiology and pediatrics at Auckland University and I'm calling you from Auckland today. Uh, my name is Jeff Kaiser. I am a professor of pediatrics and obstetrics and gynecology at um, Baylor College of Medicine and Texas Children's Hospital. And I'm calling from Houston, Texas. Thank you both uh, very much for, for joining us on the podcast. Um, we'll just get started with the, this very sort of interesting paper about um, glycemia in hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy. And I'll, Professor Gunn, if I could start with you. Um, many people listening to this podcast will be aware that therapeutic hypothermia has become the standard of care for infants with hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy. Could you... Um, just briefly talk us through um, where this study most recently published sits in context with the other studies that have been done uh, looking at therapeutic hypothermia and how uh, we have got to this point in terms of the literature. The study itself, the original study, the CoolCap study, was the, the first ever large randomized controlled trial of head cooling for perinatal hypoxemia ischemic encephalopathy. So it, it showed a significant improvement in babies with less less severe injury. Now, as, as you've just so clearly said, that there are now more than 1,300 babies who have been randomized in various controlled trials. The meta-analysis shows a significant overall improvement after mild, mild induced cooling. But of course, there's a considerable heterogeneity. Hyperasphyxia is not a single condition. People ask me, well, which of your animal models is most relevant? And I say, well, it's all of them, because all of these things are things I, different models are things I've seen happen to different different babies. So we're what we're doing now is trying to work out uh, what's happening in these babies. What are the different things that, that that might affect outcome? So why glucose? I think Jeff can speak to that. But it, I think in brief, it's fair to say that there's a lot of conflicting evidence for whether high blood sugars or low blood sugars have any influence on, on outcome. So we've taken this very tightly defined group. This is a group of babies who've been selected first to require that they required severe resuscitation or they had a, a moderate to severe acidosis in the core blood. And then amongst those babies, only the babies who had moderate to severe, severe clinical encephalopathy. And then finally, that those amongst those babies, those who also had moderate to severe EEG changes within the first six hours of life. So it's a very tightly defined group. And I think what's interesting about it is, is actually even within that, that there's a, a lot of variation or a lot of, a lot of different subgroups. Uh, Jeff, do you want to add anything to that? Uh, Alistair, that was uh, very clear about um, hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy and um, the benefits of cooling. Uh, again, one of the things that we've noticed while there is significant long-term benefit to cooling, and that's been shown now in several trials, 
there's still a significant number of babies who either die or continue to have severe neurodevelopmental disability. And perhaps um, it's why it works in some and why it doesn't work in others could be due to the heterogeneity uh, of the disease. Um, and when, for instance, did the injuries occur? So we set along a path to delve into the original study, the original CoolCap study, to see if we could learn more um, and in the end predict um, outcome of some of these babies with hypoxic skin encephalopathy. So that, that really brings me on to, and thank you both for those very succinct answers, um, brings me on to sort of something that Professor Gunn had raised, Dr. Kaiser. Um, so why, why sugar? Why um, glycemia? Um, what was the, the driver to sort of have a look at this particular hypothesis? I, I can say personally, while um, I have studied brain injury and premature babies have been involved with Dr. Gunn in the original CoolCap trial, most recently, I've been interested in the uh, association or the influence of hypoglycemia, low sugar, in all newborns in respect to their outcome. And we recently published a paper in Gemma Pediatrics showing an association between a simple low value of sugar and long-term outcome, meaning at 10 years of age, how you performed on a math and or reading test. From there, um, and from that, those um, retrospective findings, I started to question, was there something um, specific about general, about all babies, or uh, could we use glycemia as a way to try to better understand uh, particular kinds of brain injury, such as those associated with HIE? Um, and in this particular study, um, I, I note that the, the limits of glycemia uh, were chosen at, uh, as hypoglycemia is less than 2.2 and uh, hyperglycemia is greater than 8.3. Could you just explain why those particular limits? Because obviously that may have quite a significant impact to, to what is classed as hypoglycemia and what is classed as hyperglycemia. And therefore, um, there may be sort of babies at, at, at extremes of that or, or with with those two conditions that may have been missed in, in this particular study? Definitely. We, um, we scoured the literature to find out what others had, had used as definitions, cutoffs, as you will, for hypoglycemia and hyperglycemia. And we decided that instead of coming up with a specific cutoff on our own, we would kind of uh, use a consensus from previous studies. Thus, that left us with, with the levels uh, that you suggested, realizing that perhaps if we looked at this in a continuous way instead of uh, a trichotomous way, perhaps we could get more information. I agree. But this was our initial study to look at this. I think the right approach from, from here is to approach um, our, our colleagues who run other randomized trials named it to a large individual patient analysis. I think with anything less than 500 to 800 babies, uh, you don't really have the power to define new, new thresholds. So for this analysis, we just use the conventional approach. Okay. Um, and moving on to the actual analysis, Professor Gunn, um, 
the the hypo and hyperglycemia have very different incidences and effects and and yeah. we had a brief twitter discussion with some colleagues um who were quite surprised actually by the the levels of hyperglycemia in, in the population um is there any information yeah. about the glycemic data before enrollment either measurement or, or treatment because obviously that can have quite an impact on on what you're measuring post enrollment uh, the, the short answer is no, um, okay. unfortunately, because and the reason is because systematic data collection began when you were enrolled in the trial. Uh, so, we, so what we have is patchy data, which, to, to my mind, is, is simply biased towards patients who are significantly hypo, hypoglycemic or hyperglycemic anyway. So there's no question that things were happening before they were in the trial. Uh, unfortunately, nothing that we can do usefully with. And the extremes of glycemia appear to have very different severities. Again, this, for me personally, was quite surprising. Do you have any way to explain why that was or any hypothesis of what, of what was happening in the brain with these sort of uh, extremes? Okay, I have two hypotheses, but they are only, I emphasize that they are hypotheses, they're not fact. The first is there's an inherent asymmetry that if you reduce your blood sugar by a whole million more per liter below 2.2, suddenly you're at a level that actually is, we know causes neuronal dysfunction. Whereas increasing your blood sugar by one million more per liter above 8.3 is probably probably not significant. So, so I think there's an inherent asymmetry between dropping your blood sugar and increasing it. The second hypothesis uh, is, is that they may, they're probably representing quite different patient groups that the low blood sugars um, almost certainly represent babies who have had a long ongoing insult that has depleted their glycogen stores. So they come out, they're stressed, and they, they can't easily make uh, upregulate gluconeogenesis enough to supply the glucose that they require properly. With the hyperglycemic group, I, I now believe represents a group who have had an acute insult. Their stores are not being depleted, but they now have high levels of stress hormones, of cortisol, of noradrenaline that's liberating their, their stores. So, so I, I think partly we're looking at different groups of babies. Oh, okay. And uh, Dr. Dr. Kaiser, have you any thoughts on on the hypothesis or any thoughts on the sort of the surprising? Well, certainly for this. Um, uh, Doctor, if there are surprising uh, levels in, in in this population of hypo and hyperglycemia. Well, um, going along also what um, what Doctor Gunn said, um, hyperglycemia also may be related to the situation in which you have an acute brain injury, and since the brain uses much of the glucose, those injured cells don't use much glucose. So if you give the babies a standard glucose infusion rate, then they're going to be hyperglycemic. Uh, in addition to hormones. So the um, now that we have this data, it's important to try to come up with potential theories about what does hypoglycemia represent, what does normal glycemia represent, and what does hyperglycemia represent. Obviously, Dr. Gunn and I have spoken about this quite often. We believe that uh, the hypoglycemic babies perhaps had a longer duration of hypoxia ischemia and in addition to the inability to do gluconeogenesis, um, they've also used a lot of their glycogen stores as well. So theoretically, perhaps we're going to be able to come up with at least to start with three potential phenotypes in the general population of uh, HIE babies that may help us to better understand 
based upon uh, pathophysiology, who perhaps is going to benefit from cooling, who's not, and who may benefit specifically from uh, additive um, uh, other therapies. We have actually written a paper, and it's um, been submitted already, where we've looked at some of this. So um, that, that in, uh, information will be very interesting um, when it's finally published. I also have a biological, a potential biological explanation. Okay. It's, yeah. worth, it's worth looking at the animal data on, on the effect of, of glucose take. Hypoglycemia itself is damaging by itself. Uh, that's that's, that's a, in, in a completely normal, healthy animal, making them severely hypoglycemic causes brain, brain, brain injury. Of course. Uh, the, the, degree of, the degree of injury is highly dependent on the age of the animal, the degree of hypoglycemia, how long it goes on, so forth. But intrinsically, not a good thing for you. Hyperglycemia is quite different. The effect of a high blood sugar depends very much on the, on the situation. So in, in large animals, high blood sugars before hypoxia greatly increase the severity of injury. I, I can reference that easily. The, the effect after a period of hypoxia ischemia is quite variable. So I think it depends a little bit on whether there are secondary insults. There's some data saying it can mildly increase damage on its own right, but it could also be, we, we all have all seen babies who have had second insults, uh, that they've had periods of low, low blood pressure, that they've, they've had yeah. periods of, yeah. of, of secondary hypoxia. So it, it may well be that there's a, it's only a subset of the babies with high blood sugar who, who are in a situation where they're more vulnerable uh, to the effects of hyperglycemia whereas all babies are vulnerable to the effects of hypoglycemia. And would that fit with your, your data? Because it seemed that the, the incidence of hyperglycemia was greater, but its impact yes. was less, where the yes. incidence of hypoglycemia was, was less, but its impact was greater. Was that, would that be a fair representation? Yeah, that is correct. Okay. Uh, but so it's a, the hypoglycemic babies is a much smaller group, but they're much more effective. Knowing the, the, some of our listeners to, to this podcast are trainee uh, neonatologists and pediatricians who are at the coalface, for want of a better expression, could both of you, um, perhaps starting with Dr. Kaiser uh, first, perhaps give some uh, sort of practical sort of tips of using sort of this information from this paper of how this would impact their current management of infants with hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy or, you know, are we at that stage yet with this with this data? So um, first, we're not at that stage with this data. One of the strengths of the original CoolCap trial was that Dr. Gunn and the the other um, principal investigators very specifically set out to collect laboratory data at predefined times, uh, physiologic data at predefined times. So we have lots and lots of data um, that we are data mining at this point. But uh, one of the things that was not um, in this study was um, similar management styles of treating hypo or hyperglycemia. Further, there was no uh, consensus initially, for instance, how to treat hypotension or what is the proper fluid management to provide uh, babies with HIE. So going back to this now secondary study, I think it, it gives us some information to perhaps make hypotheses that we can then test. 
But at this point, I would not change anything that people are doing clinically based upon these results. Okay. Uh, and Professor Gunn? Um, I, I would agree, except I think this, is, this provides more evidence that we should, we should try to aggressively prevent hyperglycemia. Uh, and I say that not based on these data, but on, on the, the totality of the literature, that there is a broad, increasing evidence that long-term outcomes are affected by low blood sugars. Yes, I'm... Uh, and given the biological strata, I, I think it, it makes it biologically plausible that it, indeed it's the low blood sugar that's being damaging. Uh, absolutely, and, and certainly w what I had thought from reading the, reading the paper, if I if I may be so bold, was aggressively knowing what the blood sugar is in these infants is probably the most important thing. Knowing that you are hypoglycemic or hyperglycemic in terms of making sure that the, the testing is up to date is also quite important. Yes, so that's right. At least then we know what the condition of our babies are and we can over time uh, refine our treatment process. But, but I don't think we know yet how to manage hyperglycemia at all. And and one final question from you both, if I may. Um, do you anticipate that these findings would be different with whole body cooling um, rather than the, the selective head cooling, as it was in the cool cap study? Uh, if I could speak to that first, I, I would say no. Okay. Um, and I, I say that based on the actually remarkable similarity of the outcomes of all of the cooling trials. Uh, it, in terms of long-term outcome, rates of disability, uh, rates, rates of su survival, uh, they're, they're really extraordinarily similar. Um, and I'd like to emphasize here that, that we found the effects of the blood sugar was quite independent of whether the baby was cooled or not. Okay. Uh, and Dr. Kaiser? I completely second that. And in fact, as Dr. Gunn said, something that's going to be important um, and that we hope to go for is to uh, talk to some of the principal investigators from some from some of the other cooling studies, so in other words, we would include both head cooling and total body cooling, and to do a meta analysis and look at uh, the influence of uh, glycemia on outcome, and perhaps when we have more patients, it would be even more suggestive. Well, thank thank you both very much, and um, we can continue to to follow this uh, discussion on. Twitter um, using the Archives of Disease and Childhood Fetal and Neonatal Edition handle at ADC uh, underscore FN and you can follow my Twitter handle uh, for similar discussion uh, at Jonathan underscore Davis 3 and I'd like to thank you uh, both very much for engaging um, in the discussion um, and uh, we look forward to uh, uh, reading your paper in the upcoming journal. Thank you both very much. Thank you.